0: Good week, huh? You guys doing well? Awesome. Yeah, I can't help it. (laughs) I'm getting Batman shirts and Batman underwear, and people are giving me Batman. I got two Batman pictures in the last week. I'm like, now I need a Batmobile. Got to paint the Corvette black. Holy, yes. Wow. Wow. Oh, that didn't go very well. You guys well? Good. Well, let's pray. You guys are in deployment week this week, huh? I, uh, maybe we should have some questions and answers about deployment. Would you like to do that? or Okay. Let me. Do, I'll share a little bit, and then we'll do that, okay? okay. Yeah, prophesy over everybody, <laughs> I understand. Exactly. Yeah. You can cheer all you want. You know that doesn't motivate me at all. Okay, grab a hand. We're going to pray. Finally, Finally we're praying. Yes, exactly. Let's come to that. On days like today, we need to really, we really do need to pray. Thank you, Jesus, for what what you have for us and the way that you minister to us and the way you talk to us, and the way you care about us. And I I just bless this day. I bless what you're doing. I pray for focus and pray for the voice of the Lord to to just really speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, um, I have some thoughts about, you know, this whole deployment thing. You know, I think that's one thing to be uh, I think it's one thing to go, another thing to be sent. I think it's one thing to be asked, another thing to be chosen. I think that there's, uh, you know, and I, I don't know how all those dynamics work. Thank you very much. At some point, they're going to have to tighten this up. <laughs> okay, never <mind. laughs> Not this year, though. And, um, you know, I I I've been sharing and teaching... About, um, about finding your place and finding your destiny. I, I know that I shared this with you, but, you know, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, not plans of calamity, but plans to give you a future and a hope. Um, I, I, I know I shared this with you, but I think it fits this week well. The word, um, it's new, I'm sorry, New American Standard Translates that I know the plans I have for you. I think New King James translates that I know the thoughts I have towards you, right? I think if someone has that another translation, I'm pretty sure it's New King James. Um, that word plans—it's it actually more of a purpose. It's—it's it's like God's thoughts towards your purpose, not God's thoughts towards your plans. And the reason I think that's important is because uh, what Mark Sharona said a few years ago, which I'm still is still resonating in my spirit, is that God doesn't have a plan for your life, He has a purpose, and He has 500 ways to get you to your purpose. And I feel like that's so, uh, to me, that feels safer to me, because I kind of have this idea that there's like there's these three doors, and it's like, oh, behind one of them is, your, is God's plan for you, and the rest of them, like the, the devil's plan, your plan, God's plan, those three doors. I'm just like, oh my goodness, I'm going to open the wrong door, and end up in the wrong place, and I'm not going to know it until I get 10 years down the road. And, and I, I think that I'm realizing that God doesn't have a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And, that, and, I, and I don't know that God always gives us a map. I think he often gives us a compass. I was thinking about when Abraham and Sarah left the Chaldeans. God said, leave the Chaldeans for a place I will show you. So God didn't give him a map. He gave him a compass and said, go that way. How long do I go that way? Until I tell you to go a different way. And I, um, and I think that oftentimes God's, you know, when people say God's ways aren't our ways, they're usually saying that when someone dies. Somebody young dies, they're like, God's ways aren't our ways. Like, yeah, are you relating that somehow to the sickness, you know? I'm like, God's ways aren't sickness, <laughs> But I'd like to just use that comment in a different way. God's ways are not our ways in the sense that when we typically think of how to get to our destiny, we typically think I have this goal in mind, I'm gonna be a whatever, and I'm gonna do you know, step one, I'm gonna, you know, finish high school. Step two, I'm gonna go to college or whatever, a trade school. I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna trade train in this area. And then step three, I'm gonna mentor with somebody uh, intern with somebody who's doing that, and then step four, I'm going to do my, am going to do what I'm called to do in my life. And I'm, and I'm, uh, by the way, I'm not against that approach. I'm not against a logical approach. My granddaughter right now is wants to be a veterinarian, and she's just applying for uh, some, you know, scholarships in, in universities, and she just got accepted to UC Davis. So, uh, you know, I, I want you to, so I want you to understand, like, I, I am in no way opposed to that approach. I often notice that in the midst of that approach that we kind of have the sense that, like let's use my granddaughter's uh, example, like someday I'm going to be a veterinarian. And, that, and, then, and then this is my ultimate destiny. And I would like to say that God actually enjoys the journey as much as he enjoys any destiny. And I'd like to s- propose that God's more into journeys than he is actually in destinies. And even when you come to your destiny, you become the veterinarian in my metaphor, you got, you're still on a journey. You're, and, that, and that journey is ever... Is, is, you know, it's the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn growing brighter and brighter to the perfect day. And so it's like the journey that God has you on is actually an internal journey in which you are growing and the kingdom is growing within you. And God's not so... You know, follow where I'm going, and I'll, I'll probably have to fix this a little bit because I have never said this before. But it's not so much where you go, but what's taking place while you're on the journey that God's concerned about. And I, and I, I look at Old Testament saints, and, and I look at my own life, and, and I, I've been around now for longer than a lot of people in this room, and, and that doesn't give me uh, you know, all-knowing, all-seeing, but I have got to watch. You I know, was a youth pastor, so I, I, I got to be involved in people's lives uh, from sixth grade, fifth and sixth grade on and now those people that I pastored, they're adults and I, and I meet them all the time and I, and I recall many of them, the journey that they thought they were on and now I have the privilege of looking, it's kind of like an experiment that took 20 years and I get to look back and say, well, that person that, that's doing that now, that was not, I can remember sitting with them while they wept over what they were supposed to do with their life and they went and got an education doing that, and they're actually doing this thing over here, and what they were training for isn't actually their ultimate purpose anyway. And so, um, and then I, I look at statistics, and, and I, I understand these things. Am I making any sense right now? I'm just trying to external process with you a little bit while I'm actually thinking through this. And, you know, the average person will have three careers in his lifetime. Now, I understand we're talking about call, we're also talking about practically like where, where do I go? What do I do next? And I'm saying probably what you do next won't, won't be what you do the rest of your life. I don't mean that it won't have a part in what you do the rest of your life. I'm just saying that you may be going north next and your ultimate, your ultimate destiny may be south. And God just has a way of, you know, he just has a way of getting you there in ways that you, you don't know. And so... When I think of God's ways aren't our ways, I'm not thinking about when someone dies. I'm thinking about that God just has this way of training and equipping people, and and I think that God's interests are much different. So I'd like to remind you, like, I I told you this story some years ago, but um, when I first uh, opened my uh, automotive business, I I had five prophetic words. Did I tell you the story about my service station? Okay, well, I was... um, so I always, wanted to be in the, in the, I always wanted to be in business, and then I met Bill. And when I met Bill, I never had any ambition to be in, quote, the ministry. You understand, I know everything's ministry, but I'm talking about vocational ministry. I had no desire to be in vocational ministry. And I was, I was, uh, I was our youth pastor at our church, just as a part, you know, part-time, I mean, I didn't get paid for it. And I was just happy just doing that, and my passion was to build business. Then I met Bill. And the year I met Bill, um, something shifted inside of me. And I'm sure that some, many of you have had this experience. Like, my desires for what I wanted to do with my life dramatically shifted. And I kept, and I, and I, suddenly wanted to be in the ministry. And I started telling Bill, I want to be in the ministry. He's like, you're in the ministry. I'm like, no, no, I want to be in the ministry. <laughs> and so we would have these long conversations. And of course, Bill wasn't uh, nearly as busy in those days. And so I would you know, stop by his office and... Um, often, and just sit with him and say, I don't want to be in the ministry, and I want to go. And then, you know, several of my kids in my youth group, uh, several being three or four, went off to Bethany Bible College and got their degree, theological degree, and they went into the ministry. And I'm like, I want to be in the ministry. And Bill's like, you're in the ministry. And so (laughs) we're kind of going through that. And then we used to, uh, so it's like year two of meeting Bill, this prophet that used to come to our church all the time, his name was uh, Dick Mills. Do you guys know Dick Mills? Well, so the first time he came to our church, I, I had never met him before, and he, you know, we all went to lunch with him. The elders went to lunch with him, and I was on the eldership team, and so we're sitting with Dick Mills, and, and Dick Mills is handing out prophetic words at lunch with the, I don't know, ten of us at the table. He turns to me, and he said, God's giving you wisdom He's giving you double wisdom, the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man for business. I was so upset that day. I, <laughs> I, I remember driving, going early to work, and Bill was in his office praying, and I stopped in his office, and I said, this is the word I got, I don't want to be in business. That was Sunday afternoon. And then, um, and then the next thing that happened is I had a, a friend, an uh, African-American friend uh, who was a prophet. His name was Danny. And he used to come over our house all the time, and Danny was kind of like the, he's raised in a Pentecostal church, so he was kind of always like a, you know, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, that kind of a prophet, you know? (laughs) And so we had him over for dinner, this is like, this is like Tuesday, so Sunday we get a word from Dick Mills. Tuesday, um, Danny's over our house, and he's sitting at the table, and all of a sudden he gets this wild look in his eyes, and I'm like, you know, we're all like, Danny's going to prophesy and he was he's really he's really funny guy too he liked to laugh and he he looks at me and you know he puts down his fork and it's like all right, we're gonna get serious and he's like the Lord says to you that if you open a business he will bless you and I go well tell the Lord I don't want a business (laughs) so funny you know he goes he goes hey bro I'm just telling you what he said I said well just tell him what I said So that was Tuesday. So Wednesday morning my car broke down and I, I had it all apart in the shop and I, I asked Charlie if he could Charlie Harper if he could pick me up for work in the morning cuz he he lived uh, just down the street from me in the, in the woods and down a dirt road. And so he picks me up in the morning we're driving to work and he goes, "Hey, last night I had a dream about you." I'm like, "Really?" He goes, "Yeah, you own the 76 station in town." Have you ever thought about going into business. I said, I don't want a business. I'm going in the ministry. He's like, I'm just telling you, like, I just had to stream. That's Wednesday. Friday morning, the phone rings at, I'm working at a tire shop with Danny Silk. Danny Silk is 16. Yeah, and he doesn't know God. Living with his girlfriend. And I'm always telling him, you need Jesus, you know, and he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, uh, you guys are all crazy. <laughs> the phone in my shop rings, I pick it up, and the, this guy, did I never tell you a story? He goes, hi, Chris, this is Bob McLaughlin. I said, He goes, I own this 76 station in town. I've never met the guy before, he's not a Christian. He said, I'm going to sell my, my service station, and I thought of you. And he, said, um, and he said, you know, I don't want my customers to know, so I don't want to put a for sale sign on there, because all you know, my business will all go away, but I, I thought that maybe you'd be interested. Are you interested? I said, I'm thinking, I want to be in the ministry, but I'm thinking that's probably not an appropriate answer at this point. <laughs> so I, I said, yeah, I'm interested. He said, well, why don't we meet for you know, breakfast in the morning, Saturday morning? I'm like, cool. So... Saturday morning I get up, we go to, I talk to Kathy about it, and she's like, oh yeah, that would be great. I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to be in the ministry. <laughs> we, go to, uh, we go to breakfast that morning. We sit down. He has this, you know, he's a business guy. He lays out this whole plan. He wants $47,000 for the business. He wants, um, wants $10,000 down, and he'll carry back the, the note himself. And I'm excited because I'm a month behind on my house payment, so I have no money. Which is good. Like the first time in my life, I'm like, I'm so glad I have no money, because I want to be in the ministry. So you know, we're talking, and he's telling me how much how much he does, and you know, and I you know, I, I've ran you know five service stations, so I, I know that business well. And he's telling me what he does and all of that stuff, and so I go home, and Kathy's like, Well, what do he say? And I said he wants forty seven thousand dollars for the business, and you know, he. Um, He needs $10,000 down and she's like, oh, you should call your grandmother for the money. I'm like, no, my grandmother let her own son go under two months ago. My grandmother doesn't lend money to anyone. She goes, well, you should call your grandmother. I'm not calling my grandmother. So the next morning she wakes up, she's like, you should call your grandmother. I prayed about it. (laughs) My grandmother's not a Christian either, so... So anyway, three days of that, I finally called my grandmother. Grandma, you know, I have this service station I could buy, da-da-da. My grandfather owned the very first service station in the Bay Area. So I said, Grandma, I have this service station I could buy. I need $10,000 down, da-da-da. I need $11,000 total for the closing costs. And, and so she's listening. And so she said, okay, well, I'll think about it. I said, okay. So the next day I get a phone call. It's my grandmother. She said, I won't lend you the money. I said, I didn't think you would. She said, but I'll give it to you. I'll give you the money, but you can't tell the other grandkids. I want to be in the ministry. So we end up with the money, and, uh, and the, the owner, Bob McLaughlin, says to me, listen, instead of waiting for the escrow to close, uh, the, the 30-day escrow to close, why don't you just take over today? Oh, I forgot to tell you this part. So I went and told my boss, like, hey, I'm going to buy the station, and he fired me. <laughs> he said, you're going to be my competitor. I'm not going to let you be here for 30 days. After I was there a year and a half and made his business. So he's like, he's like, you're fired. Are you serious? He's like, yeah, I'm not going to let you tell your customers you're moving over there. You're, you're done. I'm like, okay. So I went by and told Bob, hey, I won't, You know, I have a month off. And he's like, why don't you just take over the station, just run it in my name, and then in 30 days when the escrow closes, just put your ten thousand dollars, you know your, your is yeah ten thousand dollars put just put your ten thousand dollars in the escrow and we'll close escrow and you can I'm done. You could just take you can keep all the money that you make here. I'm like great. I'm going to either do that or I'm going to sit at home for a month. So I take over the business day one. We instead of making money. the first month i lost money so when so the 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 two days before escrow closes bob's like hey you need to put your money in the escrow i'm like yeah 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 but the only problem is i had spent eleven hundred dollars of it so i'm like you know so i didn't want to tell him like hey by the way i don't have your money now so so you know so then the day before he comes by and he's like hey you need to put your money in escrow i'm like yeah yeah i know so then, the day of escrow close, he drives by in the morning. and Goes, "Hey, you need to put your money in escrow today." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, no problem. I, I got it handled. No problem." So I go back in the. We we had this little it's, we had this little um, uh, uh, storage room that had a compressor in it, and it was just about you know it was probably like six feet wide and, you know, probably eight feet wide, and had shelves on both sides, and, and I used to go in there and pray. So I go in there and I lay on the floor and I say to God, "This is your problem. <laughs> you put me here. I want to be in the ministry." <laughs> About two hours goes by and I um, I'm, I'm underneath this this uh, this car inside one of the bays and one of my friends that that manages the a store in town department store in town comes and he hands me some money and, um, and he hands it to me. I thought he was paying for gas so I just put it in my pocket and thank you and he goes, you should look at it. So I roll out I look at it. It's 11 $100 bills. The exact amount of money two hours before I needed it. I want to be in the ministry. So, That's the beginning of a really beautiful, terrible story. So the Lord said, if you open a business, I will bless you. Now, if God says he's going to bless you, you need to ask him if it has anything to do with money. (laughs) So the day that the business was in my name, that day we wrecked two cars. They ran into one another. Yes. My guys drove backed a car out of the driveway, a customer's car, to pull it in, and backed it into another customer's car, and it was like $3,000 damage. That was day one. <laughs> day five, the Forest Service decided that they would use us, because when I was in the tire shop, I had every single big account in town. The fire department, the sheriff's department, the Forest Service, um, the Highway Patrol, pg and the telephone company, every single big customer I had, every one of them. They followed me through three businesses. So the 4 comes in, and they're like, Chris, we would like to just give you our business. I'm like, awesome. So he brought me a truck with six tires and four rims. Like, put these tires on these rims and put them on the car. Great, on Friday night. So Saturday morning, I get a phone call, and my guy's like, hey, those tires and rims are stolen. So week, week, day one, we wrecked two cars. Day five, someone stole six tires and four rims, which I had to recover. Well, I could just tell you story after story. It, we had a 76 station. The spirit of 76 would not leave. Yeah, that was horrible. I, I, I used to lay on the storage room floor Weeping. Lord, you told me if I opened a business, you'd bless me. I remember, this is about, this is about month six. The guy that's uh, in charge of the probation department, named, his name's Dick Maybe, not a believer. He, re, he, was, he, um, he restored a 64 and a half Mustang. 64 and a half. Very rare car. He spent five years restoring it. From the frame, every single nut, every single bolt, everything. The, a new interior, new engine, every single bolt. Like he's gonna, it's a show car. He's going to show it. Took it to the body shop. It was in the body shop for like six months. It, thing, it came back perfect, blue, beautiful car. Original color, all the, all, all the chrome redone. He comes by and he says, hey... I need the carburetor rebuilt in this. I said, "Okay, why don't you leave it?" And so I take the carburetor off of it, put it in the. There's a tank. You clean the carburetor in. You leave. I typically li- like to leave it overnight. So I took it all apart, put the put it in carburetor cleaner, left it overnight. I took the keys. I hid the keys to the to the Mustang. Left the car outside, of course. It's the only place I can put it. I hide, I hide the keys. That night at nine o'clock at night, I get a phone call. It's my 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 closing guy, it's a high school kid who's closed, who pumps gas at night and cleans the shop and closes up. He, he, my phone rings and he's like, Hey, you need to come down here right away. I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, the Mustang's on fire. I said, what Mustang? He says, the blue Mustang's on fire. And the fire department's on their way down here. I said... How did, the, what? How did the blue Mustang come on, get on fire? He says, well, I, I went to start it, and I, I cranked and cranked and cranked it, and it wouldn't start, and, 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 and finally it just blew up. I said, where would you find the keys? I ditched the keys. He said, yeah, it took me a half an hour to find them. I said, there's a note on the steering wheel. It says, do not drive this car. He goes, I saw that when the fire... And not only that, but the, Dick maybe had a, a, a lock on the hood, so you had to actually unlock it because everything was all restored. Well, he couldn't find the key to the lock. So, short story is, by the time I get down there, there's three fire trucks surrounding the, the car, and when it's all said and done, the car burnt to the ground. <laughs> burnt to the ground. There was no interior, no tires, everything that was plastic or rubber was just melted off the car. That night, I, uh, the next morning, I called Dick and he's like, hey, is my car done? <laughs> well done. <laughs> Not to be mistaken with a job well done. Yep, not fun. My insurance paid for it. He wasn't very happy. He comes down. He goes, I said, I think you should come down here. We had a little fire. He drives up to the driveway and he's like. He's a great big guy. He's like, Chris, would that be the car I left? I'm like. He just looked at me and goes, "Do you have insurance?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, "I hope so." <laughs> Did I tell you the story about I haven't told you any of these stories. So, I have a Jewish neighbor. He's a Jewish guy, right? I have a German shepherd for some reason doesn't like the Jewish guy. God's truth. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Not even funny. My German shepherd goes down to his yard every time the day before, I don't even know why he, does it, what, why he does it the same day, but you know, we have garbage pickup once a week, and the dog goes down once a week and turns his garbage cans over when they're full and spreads his garbage all over his yard. Now, I have six neighbors. He only does it to the Jewish guy. I'm dead serious. I have no idea why. And the Jewish guy's name is Bernie. Barney, Barney. So, so Barney calls me I used, at least used, at least once every other week, and he's like, "This is Barney." I'm like, "Yes, Barney." Goes, "Your dog, I am gonna shoot your dog. Your dog is an idiot. Your dog is a freaking idiot." He's gonna, "Sorry, you know." And lots of times I would I would catch the dog and I would go down there and pick the guy's garbage up, but sometimes I wouldn't. So anyway, so anyway, so Barney hated me. My dog, he hated me. I mean, he would just like, I'd drive by, he'd like, give me a number one, you're number one with me, you know. <laughs> live long and prosper. This is the Vulcan way you flip someone off. In a good way, like, live long and prosper. So one day I'd been in this, you know, I'd owned the station like four years, and you know, and Bernie, Barney had called me like I don't know, twenty-five times. So he pulls in the driveway with his. He's been working on this Fiat. He's had it since I've moved in, and he had it up on blocks and he restored the whole thing. Same thing. Just got it out of the paint shop. Pulls into my driveway and he gets out and he's a, he's a little short guy, and so I see him and I'm like, oh my God, my. Dog, what did he do this time? You know. So I, I walk out and I'm like, "Hi, Barney, how are you doing?" I'm doing fine. I'm like, "My dog, all right?" Because <laughs> I figure he's finally gonna—he's finally gonna—I honestly thought he's gonna—he's driving up to tell me I shot your dog. I honestly thought that's what he's gonna say. Like he finally came—he gave up calling. He's telling me I shot your dog today. You know. But he pulls up and I said. So how are you doing? He's like, oh, fine. I just got the, my car out of the body shop. Now, he's never done business with me. He's never talked to me except for scream at me on the phone. And I'm like, oh, that's good. He's like, yeah, well, I have some electrical problems. And the body shop said, you're the only electrical guy in, in the whole county. I'm like, okay, he said said you could fix this stuff. I'm like, all right. So I went and get a work order and a clipboard, and he's telling me, you know, this light doesn't work, and this light on the dash doesn't work, and it's like 15 things don't work, and I'm making a list, you know, making very, you know, trying to, like, really make an impression, like, okay, good, write that down. (laughs) Okay, so, so think about it, like, so the station's right here. There's a parking lot here and a parking lot here, and the pump island's in the middle. You can kind of picture it. So we're standing over here, and there's a parking lot here. We're standing in this parking lot. And I have my back to this parking lot, and I'm taking the order. Okay, yeah, hmm good. And he goes, hey, that car this, that's going backwards out of the driveway? I said, yeah. He said, I don't think there's anybody in that car. I go, oh, yeah. I said, no, oh, that's no problem. One of the guys are moving it. And, you know, I'm just trying to reassure him. And while, while I'm talking to him, I'm counting my men. You know, I have seven guys, so I'm counting, like, one, two, three. <laughs> well, a doctor, his name's Dr. Duberstein, also a Jewish man, very wealthy guy, he, used to, he had three cars, and he used to bring his cars, leave me a list, and he, and he worked in Reading, and he worked there, and he had a plane, he'd fly back and forth. So he'd leave his car for a week, he'd, he'd rotate a week in Reading, and a week in Weaverville as a doctor in both hospitals. So he'd leave his car for a week, he'd leave me a note on the... Uh, uh, note in, on the steering wheel, and he'd drop his keys in a lockbox. And I'd been fixing his cars for actually for years. So he left his his uh, his um, green International Scout parked like he'd been there. This was like Wednesday, and it had been there since Monday. Parked. We we had a week to fix it. We weren't going to work on it till the next day. So so anyway, so I look at the car and I'm like, oh no, that's Dr. Duberstein's car. He's been there for a week. He's been there for three days. So I'm. So he's like, so I'm, "So I'm still talking to him and I'm counting, you know?" And he's like, "And the car rolls out of the driveway, and he goes, "I actually don't think there's anybody in that car." He <laughs> says a second time. I'm like, "Oh yeah, then I'm counting like." So I turn around, the car rolls out the driveway backwards. It's been, in, it's been parked with the parking brake on in park. It's an automatic. for two days, right? It rolls out of the driveway turns left uphill. God is my witness. Rolls backwards uphill, turns left, comes up the driveway where we're standing. I push Barney out of the way, because we're both standing behind his car, and here comes the car. I push Barney out of the way, onto the ground. I push Barney out of the way, I jump back, the car hits his car, He's drove it out of the body shop into my driveway. That's all he's drove it. He's drove it a quarter of one mile. He's worked on it for years. It hits the back of his car and then takes off down the highway with seven of my men chasing it. It's locked up. The doors are locked. My guys are chasing the car down the driveway. Seven of them chasing it down the highway. With it picking up speed. Everybody's standing, all the people are out watching. My guy's are like, and one guy grabs it right away, but he goes, you know, he's, just, he's trying to pull it back, he's dragging it down the street. He's like, the door's locked. Someone get the effing key. The door's locked. <laughs> so one guy runs and gets the key, and now they're chasing it, trying to get the door unlocked. About a mile down the road, they get it, finally get in it and stop it. I look over Barney, he's on the ground, he looks up as if he's seen a ghost, and he says to me, Chris, I would have not believed this if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. It does $1,400 damage to his car. Oh, yeah. Barney and I, we had a bonding point right there. I bought a brand new alignment rack. Brand new. $27,000. They installed it on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we ran it over with a truck. Ran it over with a truck and destroyed it. We had it one day. Oh yeah, oh yeah. If you open a business, I'm going to bless you. I never made any money in nine years. My parents bought my house back twice out of foreclosure. If you open a business, I'll bless you. I'm going to be rich. No, I said I'd bless you. I didn't say it. I'd give you money. Oh, seriously. I seriously have probably 300 stories. I could tell you. One after another after another. I could, do, I could literally fill this next week with stories that happen. Next week. You know, like air conditioning systems blowing up and blowing all the lights out of the place while the lady sits in the room and says, Was that my car? I'm like, I don't know. Cars that fall off the racks. Yeah, oil tanks in the ground that blow up and run oil all the way down into the creek. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I can tell you story after story after story. Yeah, one. I have the sheriff's son working for me. He's the guy that called me about the Mustang, right? He's also the head of my youth group. He worked for Bob McLaughlin before I got there. So he, he was his employee. Now he's my employee. He works for me for six months. About the sixth month, I have a dream. And in the dream, his name was Paul. I see Paul stealing from me. He's my youth leader. His dad is our sheriff. I walk in the next morning, and I say, Paul, come and talk to me. He sits down. What's, what's up? I said, I had a dream last night, you're stealing from me. Are you stealing from me? He said, no, I would never steal from you. When I looked in his eyes, I'm like, you are lying. I looked at him and I said, you are lying. You are freaking lying to me. I would never lie. I said, look in my eyes and tell me that. He said, all right, I'm lying. I said, all right, go make a list of everything you stole from me. And if God says that the list is true, then I will, we'll work it out. But if you lie to me, I'm going to turn you in. I'm going to have your father put you in jail. He brings me a list the next day of about 30 things, about 150 bucks. I look at that list. I say, okay, I'm going to go talk to God about this list. You better not be lying to me. I come back an hour later. God told me you're lying to me. In fact, this is the things God told me that you stole, and I started writing them down. Now, you have one hour to go tell me. You go home, you tell me everything you stole and from the previous owner, and you have one hour. If you don't do that, I'm going to call your father, and I'm going to press charges against you. An hour later, he's back with pages of stuff he stole. Oh, yeah. If you open a business, I will bless you. (laughs) Oh yeah, I could tell you story after story after story. One day, I'm on, it's snowing, it's snowing like crazy, which snow was good for our business because we sold chains. So I look out, and so I I used to do the books in the morning, so I'm doing the the books in the morning, and, and for the first hour in the morning, I'd come in every morning and do the books, so I'm, there's big, big plate glass windows. It's those old service stations, really. So there's big plate glass windows. So I'm looking out the window, and it's snowing like crazy. And I look out there, and there's a there's a a cow. Have you heard this story? Oh. There's a cow on the on the pump island. A cow. <laughs> With a bell around its neck. <laughs> so I I turned to. My, my, I open the door, and I say to, to, to Dan, he's our he's guy who works the pump island in the day. I said, hey, Dan. He said, yeah. I said, go get that cow and get him off the pump island. <laughs> he's all, all right. <laughs> so now all my men are lined up at the, the roll-up doors that are their glass. They're, they're watching Dan to go get the cow. <laughs> well, Dan goes to get the cow, and the cow's on a cow. It's a bull. Have you heard this story? No. And the bull goes. <laughs> when he goes to grab it, it goes. <laughs> it's, got a, it's got like a rope and a bell. So he comes running and he goes, uh, boss. He's really funny. He goes, boss. I'm like, yeah. He goes, uh, that ain't a cow. It's a bull. I said, it's a friendly bull. It's got a bell around its neck. He's like. <laughs> he goes like this. He goes, oh, boss, I don't know, but it doesn't seem to like me. So I open the other door where my where my mechanics are, and I go, "Hey, one of you guys, go get that bull off the <laughs> off the driveway." They're like, "Hey, you don't pay me enough to wrestle bulls, right?" I'm like, "Come on, Mike, Mike, you're my manager. Go get that bull off the driveway, so, boss. I'm a mechanic. I don't know anything about the rodeo." I'm like, ah, forget it. I'll just do it myself. So I go out there. When I get out there, I'm like, wow, he looks a lot bigger from here. You know? Snowing like a dog. We have our snow boots on. You know, it's just like... So I go over there, and I I look at him, and and he goes... I'm all my guys. I got seven guys watching me like, oh, there's a boss out there with the bull. So I go, and I I, kind of like... It's the long rope, so I I get a hold of the rope while I'm watching him. And I give him a jerk. Come on, bull. And he just goes... I said, you are leaving my pump island. And I pull him. He he pulls back. So I wrap the rope around my hand. (laughs) And my guys were all watching in the window. And I'm like, I said, you're leaving now. And I pull him, and he takes off running. But I had tied the rope around my hand. And he takes off running. And he's running. He's, he, gets, he runs out onto the highway, and he's running against traffic. In the snow. And I'm, and I'm like, I can't get my, my hand. My hand got stuck, and I couldn't get it out. So I'm running... trying to like I'm trying to get my you know enough slack that I can get my hand loose and he's pulling me behind the car behind the 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 bull and I'm with my with my snow boots on and now the car's on both sides of the road they're parked and they are beeping and laughing and my guys all run out to the sidewalk they're like oh the boss is going down the road behind the bull and they're, la- and they're rooting for the bull. <laughs> so finally, I'm like, well, this isn't funny, you know. So I start running to try to get, I have to try to get the slack off. So I'm running, and I finally get alongside the bull, and I'm like, I get the, I get the slack off, and I think, I don't know, what do I do now, you know? So we're right at the stop, at a stop sign. So I take this rope, and I, <laughs> I wrap around the stop sign. <laughs> and before I can do anything, the, the rope comes in and it pulls the stop sign <laughs> when the bull, and then the bull stops and he turns around and he takes off after me and I'm like I'm running back towards the station and the guys are like oh crap so they run inside the station pull the bay of doors down and they're watching through the bay doors the lock, doors locked. the bulls after me And there's a wall between us and an A&W root beer stand. I jump up on the wall, <laughs> and the, the bull's like... <laughs> and it stays there for like 25 minutes while my guy's like, He's, a, he's friendly! He's got a bell around his neck! Don't worry about it! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) My God. If you open a business, I'll bless you. Does that have anything to do with money at all? Yeah. Oh, I could tell you a ton more stories. This is just a few of them. Uh, No, you didn't pay money to hear me tell stories all day. But I want to tell you this. I do have a point to where I'm going. Nine years of that. Nine years. I'm not kidding. I remember one time, we used to get a gas load every about, you know, a load of gas, about every week and a half. And in those days, a gas load cost $11,000. So the goal was you sell the gas, you make a little bit of money, and then you buy the next load. And we often would use some of the money to buy the next load to actually like pay payroll. So we were forever like, oh, we have to get gas and we have no money forever. So one time I'm like, I have a, I have a load of gas, $11,000. I have a payroll, $7,000. And like five of the bills, I, have like, I need like $20,000 by Friday, and it's like Thursday. I'm laying on the floor. I'm, I'm we- laying on the floor in the back room, weeping. I'm just weeping. You put me here. I want to be in the ministry. I'm, I'm saying it out loud. I wanted to be in the ministry. This wasn't my job. Oh, yeah, you open a business? You're going to bless me. I've been pulled by bulls, ran over by cars. I uh, You know, oil tank blow up three times. I had cars run into each other. I had five accidents in one week, one day, one week. Yeah. Like this is a blessing? What's the curse look like? <laughs> so I'm laying on the floor and I'm crying. I'm literally, I'm, I'm physically weeping. Well, the uniform man comes in, opens the door. I'm laying on the floor in the mud, and he's like, he steps over me, <laughs> takes down the old uniforms, put these new ones up. He's like. I hope you're having a better day tomorrow. Did I tell you about the demonized guy? Yeah, I told you the demonized story. Last year I told you. So I'm mentoring this guy, the first guy I ever, I, I, first guy I ever met who was a homosexual. I'd never knew. I mean, only heard of him in those days. I had never met one. Well. I lead this guy to Christ. It turns out he's a homosexual. And not only is he a homosexual, but he's actually demon-possessed. A demon-possessed homosexual. <laughs> Seriously, I'm just telling you the truth. And then I hear his story, and he's like, he's in like I, I mentor him for three years. He's in like seven car accidents in three years. Every single car totaled. He walks away every time. <laughs> he's got this protection on him. I don't even get it. Well, so, so I, I'm, it's like year two, He's always got an issue. His name's Gary. He always has an issue. Always. He's always in trouble. Every day he's in trouble. So he comes in the service station, and it's summertime, and we're really busy. Did I tell you a story? We're really busy. And so Gary comes in, and he's like, and he's really dramatic. He's like, "I need you. I need you to talk to you." I'm like, Gary, we're busy. What's the problem? I need you to pray for me. I'm like, I can't pray for you right now. Look at, I got 20 cars to work on. I can't pray. Just. I just need you to pray just one little prayer over me. Something's trying to kill me. Something's trying to kill me. I go, I, Jerry, I cannot pray for you right now. I have 20 cars to work on. We are busy. I just If you just like put your hand on my head and just give a little prayer, I'd be okay. Come on. I take him in the back room, the storage room. The storage room is it's about this wide, but it has two feet of... Uh, uh, shelves on, did I tell you a story? On both sides of the wall. Oil filters on this side, air filters this side, all the way to the roof, right? Compressor over here, and it's just a small space. Like two people can't pass by one another. So I said, Come on here. Compressor's running, you can't hear anything in there. I put my hand on him, and I'm going to say, In Jesus' name, I release peace. That's it. I said, 30 seconds, Gary, that's it. Okay, I'm <laughs> I put my hand on. Him. I say, Jesus. As soon as I say Jesus, he freaks out. He grabs me by the neck. <laughs> His face distorts. A, a, a voice of a different man goes, I am here to kill you. And he grabs me and he's choking me. And he's a little bit smaller than me and he's got me and he's choking me. And he's like, I ah, come to kill you. <laughs> he's choking me and choking me. And I'm like, In Jesus' name. The blood, I mean, we don't know anything about deliverance. The blood of Jesus. The blood, the, you know, Beale used to say, I plead the blood of Jesus. So I'm like, I plead the blood of Jesus. And he's literally like, like, you know, like, I'm still like, got my hands on his head just trying to like, and he's got me, he's choking me, and he's shaking me. And he's like, he's, he's not very big. He's super strong all of a sudden. And he's shaking me, and I'm like like a ragdoll. And he's like, and a and voice is going, I'm coming to kill you, I'm coming to kill you, you know and, and and I'm like the blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus frees me. The blood of Jesus. Well, that isn't working. So I grab him by the neck. He has me, and I have him. And I'm choking him. He's choking me. And I'm like the blood of Jesus. Well, he starts throwing me like this. It's like a rag doll. Well, we we he, we hit the walls and all of the. The shelves just like dominoes, they all collapse, and we fall to the floor, and all these oil filters and air filters fall on top of us. We are, we are, we are. I can't see air. And he, and he still has me, and he's like, oh, 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 "I gotta kill you." I'm, I'm like the blood of Jesus. He rips my shirt. He starts biting my back. I'm, Jesus name, oh Jesus name, and you know, and this. And he's kicking, and I'm, I'm kicking, I'm trying, to get, I'm trying to get free. He's so strong. Well, my manager, who's a believer, hears all the commotion. He forces the door open against the oil filters and air filters. He looks, I put my hand up, out of the oil filter. I'm under here. His name's Mike. He goes, oh, looks like you got it handled, and closes the door. Oh, yeah. God's my witness. True story. Not exaggerated at all. We roll around for, I don't know, probably three, three minutes on the floor. And finally, I have him by the throat, and finally he goes, it's gone. Seriously, just like this. It's gone. In his own voice. It's gone. True story. We stand up out of the oil filters. My shirt is literally ripped off my chest there's scratch marks and bite marks down my neck I'm covered in grease I I look like, you know, the Rambo in the last scene of the I get up, I look at Gary he goes, thank you absolute true story Oh, yeah. If you open a business, I will bless you. Can you kind of give me the date when that's going to happen? Oh, yeah. I used to drive to down to the church, was you know this little church that Bill pastored, which was like a minute and a half. I'd go down there <laughs> every time I'd have a disaster. I, I went down there that day, and I'm like, Bill's all, what happened to you? Gary. <laughs> oh, yeah. Someone writes, How do you thrive in a performance based culture? I don't really know right now. I'm not thinking about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you go to ministry school? Sort of. I just have this idea (laughs) that God has a purpose and His purpose is to actually build the kingdom inside of you. And He has ways of doing it you haven't even thought of. (laughs) Very creative ways of making sure that the kingdom grows inside of you. And so, you know, I wouldn't worry about your destiny. I would just like, just go do something. He'll find you there. (laughs) Because I think that if you love God and you're called according to his purpose, which I think everyone who knows God's called according to his purpose, not his plan, that... You're going to end up in the right place. I think you're going to end up in the right place. Well, do I do door one, door two, or door three? Guess. What do you mean, guess? Well, I mean, I'd pray about it. (laughs) But I have this feeling that he could find you, don't matter what door you go. I'm not saying like, you know, I'm not saying like, I'm saying like try to work it out. But just realize that his ways aren't your ways. And the way that he thinks he's going to get you there may not be the way you plan to get there. Joseph, you're going to be a ruler. Awesome. I'm going to go to ruler school. Kind of. (laughs) David, you're going to be king. Awesome. I'm going to be the king. Yeah, only problem is the king that you serve right now, he's going to want to kill you first. I want you to learn loyalty. Can I read a book or... And what I'm learning, one of the things I'm learning is the greater your destiny, the longer the journey. And let me say this, like, your job is to find God every day. Like, not to find God, like, when I become president, I'm going to really serve God. I'm going to really seek Him. No, I would just find Him every day. I just find God every day and realized that you can make the journey longer, but you can't make it shorter. (laughs) Let me put it differently just to make you guys happier. (laughs) If you find a way to get to the palace without the process, you won't be able to stay in it. See, from Egypt to the promised land at 1.5 miles an hour, which is about how fast a million people would travel walking, It's 40 days journey from Egypt to Canaan. It took him 40 years. I think that you can make the journey longer. But I don't think you can make the journey shorter and learn what you're supposed to learn. So if I were you, I would, you know, the plans... I think you should make a good plan. Then I think you should sign it and hand it to the Lord and say, this is my plan, but feel free. Yeah. All right, when I um, took over uh, Danny's, when Danny had Sok, uh, left here, Danny had like five ministries. And so we I took, I think, two or three of them, and Eric took the others, other two. And one of the ministries he had was Heaven and Business. So An- Andy Mason. So the first week I was interviewing the people that were going to now work for me who had worked for Danny at one time. And uh, Andy was the first, my first guy I brought in. So I, so I sit down with Andy and I say, So Andy, can you, can you tell me what you've been doing so I can have an idea how, how to lead you? What, what, tell me your vision. What's your vision? He goes, oh, I'm glad you asked. So he, ha- he pulls out this piece of paper and he hands it to me. And it's a white piece of paper with lines on it with nothing written and his signature. I said, What is this? He said, it's my vision. He said, what kind of vision is this? He said, it's a vision that it's a blank piece of paper. You tell me what your vision is, and I'll serve it the rest of my life. That's my vision. How many of you know it wasn't very long before he filled in most of that paper? Over the next two months, I'm like, okay, what's in your heart? And together we developed a plan. And what I'm getting at is that I understand that when you leave here, you you know, obviously it's like, I've been, I've been training for two years. I, I want to do something meaningful. I, I didn't come here for nothing. And and I think that's really important. And the other side of that is, is that you're not done training, and you won't be done training when you're 60. Because life is a journey, and every bit of the journey is you discovering Jesus in different places, different ways, and letting Him build in you. You know, the hard thing about, I ended up having five prophecies about that station before I took it. Five prophecies in a week. I told you about three of them. You know the hard thing about getting prophesied into a business? Is that you know you can't leave until God supernaturally removes you the way He supernaturally put you there. So, you know, the challenge is, if God gives you five confirmations that you're supposed to be someplace, it's typically because you'll need them. Because if I would have went to work for that service station and I didn't have any prophetic words, I would have left in a year. I said, this is a bad choice, you know. What do great leaders do when they realize they make a bad choice? Remember, we talked to you about it. Like, you quit as soon as you know you got it wrong. And I couldn't leave because I knew God put me there. And I knew that God was molding me. And what I'm getting at is this, is that, Sometimes you're in places where you go to work, and other times you're in places where you know you're working for God, and you have no choice but to complete the task. So that was nine years. And then we opened another business, another business, another business. I ended up with nine businesses. And, you know, I never made a lot of money in business. Unless $100,000 a year, you think that's a lot of money. It's not a lot of money when you're working 60, 70 hours a week, and you have 42 employees in, in three cities, and you're running all over the place. But you know what? I figured out, I know this sounds, sounds stupid, I figured out about year seven that this had nothing to do with money. I know it sounds crazy, but I figured out, in fact, one day I was driving, we were going to the Bay Area, uh, and I happened to be in the car alone. My family was in a, another car, they were all just hanging out talking. And I, and I started crying, and I said to God, God, I told you I would do anything for you, but this is ridiculous. He said, I didn't lead you the hardest way. I said, well, I know that. He said, I didn't lead you the easiest way. I said, well, I think we can agree on that. <laughs> he said, but I led you the right way, and this will all make sense 20 years from now. You know, the interesting thing is, I make so much money now, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You know what? When I tried to make money, I didn't make money. And when I just do what I'm asked to do, and I don't, you know, it's like I just write books and travel and do conferences. People hand me money, give me money, give me crazy amounts of money, and I'm like, where was all this money when I was in business? A guy gave me an extravagant amount of money last week, huge amount of money. And the Lord's like, that's for all the years that you worked. Those are for all the years that you tithe and were generous and you didn't have it. It's all going to come back with 30, 60, and 100 full interest I mean, you now, Mike. Sometimes you're planting a vegetable garden and you go out in a couple of months and you get to the vegetables, right? But sometimes you're planting an orchard. You're planting an orchard, you don't get fruit for a long time. Anyway, what was I saying? I'm trying to make some connections. I really believe that God is leading every single one of you. I believe that God's leading you when you don't think he's leading you. And I think he's leading you when you think he's leading you. I think that you end up places that, you know, how did, you know, so Chris Valentin works in a, you know, in a repair shop, has a nervous breakdown, and thinks, I'm going to go, Where's the slowest place I can think of to go? Oh, the only place I've ever been that was slow was the place he we went for a honeymoon. That was Weaverville. What's the chances I end up there and a year later a hippie pastor ends up in the same place? What's the chances that we end up being best friends? What's the chances that the hippie pastor becomes the Bethel pastor and asks me to come with him? I mean, it just goes on and on. Like, how did you get here? Like, people are like, did you dream of doing this? <laughs> are you kidding me? I, I, the bull... I've never let go of the bull. He's drugged me through life. He looked like a cow. (laughs) Do you ever tie off to the kingdom, it looks like a cow? Until you started getting drugged through the streets. And I'm going to tell you something like, you would not be in second year if you were not full of faith. This place is full of Abrahams and Sarah. This full of place, like your destiny is amazing. It's already fixed. You keep your heart right. You're going to get to where you're supposed to be at the right time. You're going to find your hippie pastor and his flower child girlfriend, my wife. <laughs> like this is the message. It's like, you know what? Do everything you can. Get great counsel. Do everything you know. You've been, you've been taught now almost, almost two years, you know, and longer before that. And you, you've been taught how to make good decisions, you know how to pray, how to develop accountability team, how to be in a community, how to not just be selfish, how to find your, your people, all that stuff. You're like, okay, now it's all important. It's like, it's going to work out. Relax. It's going to work out. And and God knows where to find you. If you end up at McDonald's and God wants to you know build a church, He'll find you there. You go fishing, He'll find you fishing. You're a tax collector, no problem. Jesus knows where to find you. Like, He knows where to find you. But let me just say this. The one thing you want to be is faith-filled. Be faithful. Just be faithful. Like, I'm more concerned about the attributes of God than I am about where do I do next. Just be the person you're supposed to be, and you will be found at the right time, in the right place, doing what you're called to do. Okay, how about if I let you talk for a few minutes? We have 20 minutes. Would anyone like to ask a question? I guess you asked some right here. So let me see if there's any good ones. Bill just taught us about resting. Whatever Bill says, that's what to do. (laughs) Resting our way into our calling and waiting for the Lord's promotion. How do you balance that sense of rest and working really hard towards your destiny? How do you know when stewarding your gift through hard work has become striving? Well, let me just say this. First of all, let me say that rest in the kingdom is not the absence of work. It's the presence of peace. So you were created for good works in Christ Jesus, and you're to work with all your might. So when you're working for God, it's not called striving; it's called stewardship. When you're doing it for yourself, the same thing's called striving. So the attitude is everything. Like working hard is a part of the way. It's it's one of the things God honors. I have never heard anybody who was successful, even in, even in a non-Christian way, who didn't work hard. So the idea that someone just gives stuff to us, like you don't, you know, I've sit with sat with many people, and I think it's a little different now. But somebody would be like, you know what? I get unemployment, and I get, you know, let's say two thousand a month. If I go to work at McDonald's, I only make fifteen hundred a month. Why would I go to work at McDonald's? Well, it's called pride. <laughs> I'm talking about in a good way. I'm not talking about arrogant kind of pride. I'm talking about dignity. <laughs> I'm talking about the fact that there's something about you making money for you that has dignity and honor and nobility attached to it, and you producing something that's good for the community is a part of the way God provides for you. You sitting at home and letting everyone else pay for you, that's a bad plan. And by the way, for those of you that are Americans, you do not pay into unemployment. So let me just be clear. When you get unemployment, you do not pay into that. The employer pays 100% of unemployment. So when people say, I paid into unemployment. No, you didn't. The law requires your boss to take care of you for one year. Sorry. Actually, it's not even a year anymore. How do you thrive in a culture of performance and control and honor? Oh, how do you thrive in a culture of performance and control and honor leadership while staying true to your core values? Um this, this may, I don't know if this is going to answer your question, but there's no such thing as a perfect environment. There's no such thing as a perfect boss. There's no such thing as a perfect ministry, a perfect uh, business, a perfect anything. So the question is, how unperfect can it be before you have to leave? So, you know, and, and if all the people who are light leave the dark places, then I'm not sure what we're doing. So, you know, some of the things I've learned is you can take a lot more than you think you can. You're not nearly as fragile as you think you are. About the time that you think you're at the end of the rope, you find out the rope's about 500 feet longer. And, you know, I, you know, when you, some of the older folks maybe know this, but will know this. But, you know, when you, have, when you have three or four kids and you have businesses and you have things going wrong and you, 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 ha- you can't quit. Like, it's your business. Like, you can't quit. You know, I don't, I don't have the... You know, I don't have the option an employee ha- has. I can't go, well, I quit this job, it's too hard. When I own a business, I have 40 employees. I can't just stop. I can't give up. When I have a hard day, I can't take it out on my employees or I'm not going to have employees. And what, I, what I'm saying is this, is you'll be surprised how far you can stretch. You'll be surprised how hard you can work, how far you can stretch, and how much you can take, a lot more than you think you can. And so what I'm getting at is this, is that, you know what, um, I mean this, well, you know me. Don't be fragile. Don't be fragile. And don't base your life on things that aren't true. Like people come to my office often, especially over the last 15 years, and they say, I can't take anymore. Actually, that's a lie. And when you convince yourself you can't take anymore, then you leave all the options open. Then you leave no options open because you just said, I can't take anymore. And now you just put yourself in a box where there's no answer except for quit. I can't take this marriage anymore. I can't take this job anymore. I can't take this thing anymore. Yes, you can do a lot more than you think you can. In fact, with God, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, you know, when you, when you go through tough times, just read, the, you know, just read Paul's life. You know, when you think things are tough, you think, well, have I been shipwrecked? Check, no. <laughs> have I been beaten with whips? Only once. You know, you just start, like, have I been stoned to death? Not lately. You're like, I got a pretty good job. (laughs) Yeah, it's supposed to be funny, but... How do you honor controlling people? I don't know, but I know you can. Listen, you know, you're not going to find very many people that that know as much about leadership as you do. You're probably going to work with somebody... Most, most of you will work with people who are not great leaders. How do, how do people who aren't great leaders get things done? They typically use manipulation and control and all kinds of stuff, all the stuff you learn not to do. Well, they, that's how they, I mean, they don't necessarily have a bad heart. They just don't know how to get, motivate people. So, you know, how, how, I mean, you're going to just learn to forgive, learn how to be patient, be patient with people who haven't worked it out. And this is what life's about, Right. Okay, good answer, Chris. Thank you for encouraging us. You wanted to be in the ministry. What prophetic words were you stewarding over your life during your years in business? I figured out that when I was in business, I was in the ministry. It took me three years to figure out this is the ministry. And by the way, you know, since I've been here, I mean, I've had lots of days that have been in this bed. You know, uh, in business, you kind of have hours. (laughs) You know, typically, like, you're done at whatever time, 9 o'clock at night or, you know, you're closed on Sunday or whatever. When you're in the, quote, career ministry, I hate to tell you, but people don't have a crisis on your clock. And if you're in a smaller church, they think you get paid to take care of their crisis. They may have had a bad marriage for 27 years, but the day they decide they want to get they want to work it out, they want you to talk to them that day. And so you have to you, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't set boundaries, but I'm saying like if you think the ministry is the ministry, career ministry is easier than being in business, it isn't. It's different. And yeah, you may not be the person in charge of the money like like you know, at Bethel Church that like I Bill and I and Steve are. You may not be in charge of a $50 million budget, but the point is is that you're, you're working with people. And I'd much rather work on a car than with people any day, as far as cars are logical. People are not. So, you know, I, I'm simply saying it's like, if some of you want to be in career ministry, like you want to get paid for what you do, it, it, you know, it's like, so a lot of times you, you see you know, us here, we're, we're, you, know, you see us mostly when we come in the public part of our ministry and we teach or preach or pray or prophesy or whatever. That's the sweet stuff you get to do. That's about, you know, in my life it's about 10 hours a week and I work about 60. So 50 hours a week I'm doing stuff that probably most of you wouldn't want to do in the ministry. So, I'm simply saying it's like this is life. It's not about doing what you want to do, it's about doing what needs to be done, and, and it's about serving people. How do I serve people? And lots of times, you know, it's like if you, if you work in a smaller church, you know, you're the janitor, the counselor, you know, the, you know, yeah, the, the mortuary, you know, the worship leader the administrator, the bookkeeper. You know, it's like you you get to do all of those jobs. And, you know, and I'll I'll tell you, like, small churches, in my opinion, they're much harder. Like, I I don't envy Bill being a pastor of a small church where, you know, people can come right up to your door, knock on your door at any time in the night. And we lived with the Johnsons for six months. And I'm like, yeah, this is the only time I haven't wanted to be in the ministry. And people inherently think you should behave a certain way. If you have a title like you shouldn't have a yellow Corvette like people actually think that they should have input into what you drive and what it doesn't matter if you have money or don't have money. They think that you should spend your money a certain way. They think your kids should behave a certain way and that you should correct them a certain way and that you should always be in a good mood and you shouldn't have bad days. You don't you don't get paid to have a bad day. Uh, You think I'm exaggerating. It's, It's the truth. So, you know, you want to go buy a certain house that you can afford? It's like, you have to think, what's my congregation going to think? You want to drive a certain kind of car? It's like, yeah, your life's not your own. Well, you do it. I do, because I'm old. <laughs> I could afford afforded that car 10 years ago. There was a reason I didn't buy that car 10 years ago. And I decided, like, yeah, that's not the way I'm going to live anymore. But, you know, I'm not... Listen, don't feel sorry for me. I'm awesome. (laughs) I mean, I'm doing awesome. But I'm simply saying, like, if you're a business guy, you could drive that car and everybody will, Ha, yeah! But if you are a minister and you drive a car like that, every day people talk behind your back, write you little nasty notes and don 't put their name on them, you know send you little Facebook posts without their name on it, and you know you pretend stuff, and they say terrible things about you and, and you rape the flock to get that. It matters not that I write, stay up at night and write books and you know go to conferences and travel the world and work my butt off. If anyone else did that, they would celebrate it. If I was a football player, don't want to have any problem with me making $15 million a year catching a ball or, you know, or, or, or blocking for a quarterback. But if you actually work to change people's lives, you shouldn't have things. It's how people think. I, I, listen, you understand, I'm not complaining. I, I'm not complaining. You can tell, it doesn't bother me. It maybe should. I'm saying, when you come into the quote, ministry, it's not, it may not be what you think it is. People talk about your children. If your children are bad, they think, well, what's he teaching them at home? You know, He teaches us from the podium, and his kid's the biggest brat in the church. You know? So, you know, your you kids are under pressure. You have to somehow teach your kids, like, hey, just be you. Your congregation has a plan for all of your children. If you're a man in the career ministry, they have a plan for your wife. Whether or not she wants to be in career ministry or not. I love it. When Bill came to... Uh, um, we were, I may have told you this. Sorry, I don't know how much is repeat. I remember he sat down with all the elders and he said, I'm getting paid by the church. My wife is not. You haven't got a two-for-one deal. My wife is here to be my wife, not your employee. She doesn't do children's church, women's ministry, and all the free things, like you haven't got the two-for-one deal. My wife wants to be a wife and a mom. Because, you know, if you know Benny, that's what she wants. She wants freedom. So Benny didn't run children's church and do women's ministry and all that, but how many know in a small church what happens behind the scenes? And all she did was marry a pastor. Now, I understand lots of you ladies in this church, I mean, in this school, you're like, I would love to teach. I would love to, you know, lead children's ministry or women's ministry or all ministry or preach. That's, that's all fine. But the point is, is that I'm not saying you will or won't get to do that. I'm simply saying, if you get in career ministry, remember that people are going to have an opinion which, <laughs> about what you do, and remember that they think they have a right to I didn't say they have a right to. I said they think they have a right to. How do you know the difference between a time to change gears and what you're doing with your life, career, or a time to push through and keep going? Those are just hard questions to answer, you know. I, I think that you have to have people around you. I'll say this like, and I've said this before, I am the worst prophet to myself. Like, I figured out, like, I have false prophecies to myself. I give myself false prophecies, sometimes on purpose. Like, I know this is a bad prophecy, but (laughs) you should eat chocolate cake right now. (laughs) The Holy Spirit wants you to. I'm just being funny. I'm simply saying, when you have emotion attached to your desires, how many of you understand that it gets confusing? It's why, and you know, I told you this last year, I hope that you took my um, advice. And again, this year when we were doing the, uh, the teaching on leadership, I hope that you've invited people into your life that actually know your stuff. Like you have to be authentic enough so they actually know your weaknesses and your strengths. Because if they know your stuff, then when you go, I want to da-da-da, they go, oh, that's the thing you do. And I've been with these guys for 38 years. So how many of you know when I walk in the office and go, hey, I'm feeling like I should do this and this and this, Bill can just look at me. And I'm like, that's not what I'm supposed to do, is it? Because people know your stuff. They know your tendencies. They know, are you, you, know, are you a fighter or are you a flighter? When you get into conflict, do you, do you want to stand up and punch it out? Or do you want to run away and go into a cave and close the door? I mean, these are things that's hard to see in yourself, but other people can see it. And they go, that's that flight thing you do. That thing that you want to quit your job right now, that's what you do. That thing where you have a hard time confronting your husband, this is the same thing over here. This is you don't want to confront your boss. That's the same thing you do. Oh, that's what it is? Yeah, it's not God telling you to leave. It's you being afraid to actually share your opinion. But you can't see it in yourself. Someone else has to tell you. Right? Are you guys okay? Is this helpful at all? I don't know. I think that's the last question. I, I, I love my life. I've had seasons where I've not loved it. I don't know what I would change in my life. I mean, I can look back and think I had, we had lots and lots of hard times. You know, I, I know that uh, hard times bond you or break you, depending on your attitude. What some people say ruined their marriage is what actually bonded me, Kathy and I, closer. Because when we went through hard stuff, I told you about in the little tent story, when we, went through, when we go through hard stuff, we do it together. We don't accuse one another We don't blame one another. We don't say, well, if you would have done this, that wouldn't have happened. You know what? If you make a mistake, none of those things are going to help anyway. But what does help is that when you. I can't tell you how many times Kathy's looked me in the eye at really hard times and said, we are going to make it. Look at me in the eye. We are going to make this. This is going to be okay. We're together. I can't tell you how many times I've said the same thing to her. Like, look at me. Look at me. I know you're afraid. I know you're scared. This is going to work out. We're going to work this out. So, you know, where you go from here is going to be exciting. You guys have had some of the best training in the entire world. People come here from all over the world to hear the wisdom that's been shared with you and the experiences that you've had and the relationships that you built, you're going to have friendships that will last a lifetime. And it is important where you go from here, but it's not as important as you think it is. Did you hear what I just said? It's important where you go from here, but it's not as important as you think it is because if you have the right heart, I'm telling you, listen, you'll believe me 10 years from now, you can't get it wrong if you have the right heart. Anybody ever use a GPS? What happens when you go the wrong way on the road? Recalculating. Does it go, oh crap, I have no idea how to get you there from here. (laughs) Holy moly. No map. No, I'd love to train one myself, wouldn't you? Hey idiot, turn around. The other north. No, it says, recalculating. I'm saying, it's it's such a beautiful picture. Like, you go the wrong way, and God doesn't like, oh no, oh no. We have no way of getting them there from here. Oh my goodness. No, God's like, recalculating. And what's he do? He creates a new map. Oh, I, I, I was someplace... It was really, really dark and rainy. You ever been dark and rainy? You can't see 10 feet in front of you and it's dark and rainy and you're trying to follow the GPS and it's a like, next right turn. I don't see any right turn. Oh, and you pass it. It's like, recalculating. <laughs> it's like, take next right turn. i miss it again. Recalculating. I'm like, this feels like my life. I think God's recalculating. Oh my goodness, Here he goes again. He's going in circles. This is go good. Listen, I'm just trying to say like, don't worry about it. Keep your heart right. Do what you think is right to do. Get some counsel. Serve. Be in the right place in your heart. And I'm telling you, if you're supposed to be in the palace, you could be in the prison and God knows how to get you to the palace. Stand up. Let me pray for you. Put your hand on your heart. Say, Jesus, I give you all my plans. I give you all my my desires. Here's my blank piece of paper with my name on it. Just fill it in. And I need to know one thing, that I'm in the middle of your purpose, wherever I'm at. In Jesus' name, amen.